came from all around, from near and from far, just to sit here at the house of mercy, waiting for the waters to stir, just to sit here at the house of mercy, waiting for the waters to stir. out here, not by an analytical process, but by following a logic of images. Why should one want to do that? Because it's a different, softer way of knowing, and one in which most people in our culture are unpracticed. How does one follow a logic of images? I invite you not to work, but to rest. Stare and ponder. What you find out, I hope, will not be the story of my life, but of your own. Things are as they are in the present because other things happened in the past. We see what's before our eyes through a scrim, a gauze of the past. At midlife, I'm trying to compose my life with attention to these gauzy curtains that foreground and background the central actions of life. Yet I sense that we must recover the past into the present, make a wholeness of it, if we are to play out our lives with integrity. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Welcome. I'm glad you're all here for this Condal uh, Moss. Um, it's one of the few um, ancient Celtic Mexican holidays there are, uh, and uh, so I'm glad that you all I'll come out here. Did and, you mention Groundhog Day, too? Um, they're all wrapped up. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Groundhog okay. Day. Yeah. yeah. And Groundhog Day, too, I think is way better than the first one. <laughs> yeah, first one. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah, I think so. Um, so I'm glad you're all here. I Let's say hello to the hardest working band in the church band business. It's the grand old Grievous Angel Band. Oh, we are singing yeah. for the saving. We are dancing for the damned. We are the grand old Grievous Angel Oh, don't you love them, folks. Don't you love them. Angel Band. Ah, so, so glad to have you here with us here today. All right. Mark? Yeah, uh, Tuesday at Russell's house, last Tuesday, was a an event that you won't want to miss ever again. It was just fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So our dear Phyllis is leading us in this beautiful, uh, contemplative, worshipful, but for really curious um, 
great stuff. It's the Christian and Buddhist dialogue uh, about meditation. It's called Compassion and Meditation. We're reading a book. And um, I thought, like 15 minutes in, um, I thought this is like the best podcast I've heard in years. And it's live, like right in Russell's living room. Yeah, what do you call that? It's super, I don't know. It's like a podcast, but it's like not on, (laughs) yeah, anything. A live cast. Yeah. I like it. Live pod. So be there Tuesday for the live cast. There's only three sessions left. You don't have to have read the book. No. You don't have to be a Buddhist. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't even have to be at my house. (laughs) I know. There were a couple people online. Because you can, uh, yeah, it's hybrid, and so you can... uh, Yeah, there were about 20 people in the living room and a few people online. Yeah, um, yeah, it was brilliant. So if you uh, need more information on that, you can talk to Phyllis afterwards or any of us, or you can go on the events page on the House of Mercy website. It's got all the information. Yeah. Yeah. Say, Russell... Yeah. What are these beautiful candles? I mean, isn't that, that's, uh, that is uh, St. Debbie right there. And um, if you, uh, Angel made these, they're beautiful. They're uh, same thing as the icon we have in the back there. $20, just throw it on the back there. You grab them, get them while they're sanctified, I guess. <laughs> I didn't want to say hot, you know. <laughs> and what, and yeah. what a perfect time for them to perfect arrive. Perfect time for that. What if you got one of these, brought it up here, lit it, got it blessed for candle moss? Wow. I'm getting choked up. <laughs> All right. But so candle moss. Candle moss. Yeah. That's what we're doing today. That's what we're doing. Okay. Um, as you notice, I had to step up on a stair here because I was feeling a little like a Lilliputian yeah. between these two guys. There you go. There we are. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So the feast of the presentation of the Christ child in the temple is the oldest feast celebrated in the Christian church. Dating back to the 4th century CE and marked centuries before that as the feast of Bridget, the Celtic goddess of fertility and agricultural fecundity. This time between the winter solstice and the spring equinox looks forward in preparation and prayer for the coming planting season and with the lengthening of the daylight We reflect with gratitude the coming of the mercy, the love, and the light of God into the world. All right, so that's what, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about how now. So after the sermon, I'm going to invite everybody to come forward. I'm talking about everybody all at once, gather in this space here. You'll know you'll hear the gathering music. They're going to play a little gathering, walk-in music. Everybody come forward and bring your candle if you don't have a candle, the youngsters made a bunch of them, um, and if you just like raise your hand now, they'll bring you one so you can uh, have one. So if you need a candle right now, raise their hand, they'll bring you one. Oh, I see a couple here. Look, we got some takers all right here. So you bring those candles forward, and we're going to uh, bless them, and then we're going to light them, and uh, you'll be able to take uh, the light of this blessing back into your homes and light that candle. Uh, yeah, so hopefully so we'll be able to survive with the light into the spring. And uh, then stay up here if you like, and we'll uh, have communion up here all together. Um, yes, did you have a question? <laughs> oh, no, oh, no, you need a candle. All right, sorry. Yeah, yeah. All right, okay, good. Um, yeah, so I think that's uh, how it goes. Perfect. Mark? Yes. Please join me in our prayer of invocation. Oh, no, I was going to say, this is the house of mercy. Oh, okay. Yeah. This is the house of mercy, and welcome. To-
sinner friend won't you come on in won't you come on in from the cold sinner friend all your time has gone this house is warm inside Got a bed inside join me in the prayer of invocation. God of mercy, bless this house of mercy and the places we call home, that they are filled with warmth and light, gratitude and love, that none would go hungry and none would dwell in the darkness alone. God of mercy, sustain us until new light and life shine upon us all. May your presence be felt in the community gathered here tonight. Amen. Let us share the peace of God with each other. The peace of Christ be with you all. Um, I think that, well, I was thinking that in the past, but I wasn't trusting my memory if we had shared any of the Nordic-inspired folk fiddle tunes we've been working on, but then... We walked in and and uh, I was we were thinking that we would do them again today. We walked in and Miss was like, "Hey, I really liked it when you when you played those Nordic fiddle tunes in the past." And I was like, "I didn't dream that, um, or hallucinated or whatever." But um, 
seem like Candlemas. I think St. Bridget has something to do with Sweden also. I think, I think St. Bridget might. What's that? Yeah. Yeah, I think that there's a Bridget that is the patron saint of Sweden that sometimes people think Lucia is, but that's a, that's a lot of, a, you know, that's hotly debated over Lefsa and Yetos cheese at my family's house. Um, um, but uh, have we ever told them what the name of our Nordic folk duo is? Our, our Nordic-inspired folk duo is called Free for Alti. Green can say it with Swedish pronunciation better than I can. <laughs> but that means free forever in, in Swedish. And we asked a, Swedish, a professional Swedish folk fiddler if that was a stupid name in the scene. And he said, no, it's, it's a good name. <laughs> so that's our name. So your, your guest artist today is Free for Alti. And uh, we're going to do a couple songs that I've written, which I always have to have Green remind me how they go. <laughs> First. because we need uh, a solid chunk of time with ideas and Google, Google Translate to name them. Um, but this one we've been having fun with because we're trying to have a pause so long in it that it makes people uncomfortable.
please join me in our prayers of the community. Gracious and loving God, you know who we are, simultaneously sinners and saints, and yet deeply and madly loved by you. We are grateful for the gift of this day, these moments, the sounds of the children. We thank you for each breath that we are given. Come now into our prayers as we open ourselves to you and as we pray for the church, for the world, and for all those in need. God, in your mercy. O God of light, on this dark and beautiful winter night, slow us down. Fill us with a sense of wonder. There's so much to notice all around. The bark of the red pine, the green moss under the melted snow, the kindness of a stranger, the hands that prepare our food, the wild imagination of our children, the spirit of creation that is alive, bringing life out of decay. Help us to let go and to die, that we might receive our lives back again. God, in your mercy. O oh God of mercy, we pray for your church, for all of these broken and flawed and distorted churches, especially ours. We pray for every church in every land, the high and the low, the east and the west, the sectarians and the old main line. Forgive us for our abuse, our manipulation, our violence. Humble us, heal us, help us all to more faithfully proclaim your way of vulnerable, patient, suffering love, your way of the cross. God, in your mercy. Holy God, our world needs real peace, not the peace of our goodwill, but your peace that buries itself with real loss and plants seeds of justice in the name of love. So we pray for peace in all places of the world, divided and broken. We pray for steps toward a lasting peace in Ukraine and for an end to Putin's corruption and aggression. We pray for an end to the atrocities in Palestine and Israel, for the resumption of a ceasefire and for a lasting two-state solution. We pray for our neighbors and friends in Somalia recovering from a brutal attack at the hands of Al-Shabaab. We pray for an end to the ethnic and religious violence in Nigeria. We pray for comfort, rest, and welcome for refugees at our own border. And we pray for workers who try to give them shelter, sanctuary, and a life filled with peace and hope. God, in your mercy. We pray for those closer to home who are in need, for those in the midst of depression. Bring peace, comfort, and rest. Bring your comforting and calming spirit to those struggling with conflict and with bullies who lie and cheat to get their way. For those who are sick, bring your healing. We ask for healing and release for those who are homeless, mentally ill, imprisoned, as well as for counselors and social workers who try to help. Comfort those who are grieving the loss of a loved one or the loss of a dream. God, in your mercy. Finally, gracious God, we pause and pray in silence 
led by your Spirit, who intercedes for us, even and especially when we don't have the right words. O God, who is with us and for us in ways that are too deep to understand, reveal to us your weakness, your vulnerability, your deep, mad, subversive, passionate love for us, your way of the cross. Release us from our arrogance, our isolation, our delusions of self-sufficiency, and help us to trust in your way of the cross, in your broken, suffering love that renews all things every hour. Amen.
When Jesus heard that the Pharisees had been told he was making and baptizing more followers than John, though it was not Jesus himself, but his followers who baptized, he left Judea and set out again for Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria, and on his way, he came to a Samaritan town called Shechem, near the plot of land that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, being tired after his journey, sat down beside the source, just as he was. It was then about midday. A woman of Samaria came to drink water, and Jesus said to her, Give me some to drink. For his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it, replied the Samaritan woman, that you, who are a Judean, ask water from a Samaritan woman like me? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. If you knew the gift of God, replied Jesus, and who it is that is saying to you, give me some water, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. You have no bucket, sir, and the well is deep, she said. From where do you have this living water? Surely you are not greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and used to drink from it himself and his sons and his cattle. All who drink of this water, replied Jesus, will be thirsty again. But whoever once drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst any more. But the water that I will give him will become a spring welling up from within him a source of life through all the ages. Give me this water, sir, said the woman, so that I may not be thirsty, nor have to come all the way here to draw water. Go and call your husband, said Jesus, and then come back. I have no husband, answered the woman. You are right in saying, I have no husband, replied Jesus, for you have had five husbands, and the man with whom you are now living is not your husband. In saying that, you have spoken the truth. I see, sir, that you are a prophet, exclaimed the woman. It was on this mountain that our ancestors worshipped, and yet you Judeans say that the proper place for worship is in Jerusalem. Believe me, replied Jesus, a time is coming when it will be neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, that you will worship the Father. You Samaritans do not know what you worship. We know what we worship, for salvation comes from the Judeans. But a time is coming. Indeed, it is already here when the true worshipers will worship the Father spiritually and truly, for such are the worshipers that the Father desires. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. I know, answered the woman, that the anointed one, who is called the Christ, is coming. When once he has come, he will tell us everything. I am that one, Jesus said to her. I, who am speaking to you. So the woman, leaving her pitcher, went back to the town and said to the people, 
Come and see someone who has told me everything that I have done. Can he be the anointed one? And the people left the town and went to see Jesus. The word of God. So, my cultural lineage, which isn't necessarily separate from my spiritual lineage, is that I'm Irish Catholic on my dad's side and Polish Catholic on my mom's side, I suppose a Union Democrat on both sides. Um, And the Catholicism that we practiced and that was very prevalent on the south side of Chicago in the 60s and 70s was the Dorothy Day Catholicism of the Catholic Workers Social Justice Movement. And so somewhat of a theopraxis, a theology of action rather than beliefs. There were strong women on both sides of my family. And I'm also working at raising strong women, my niece and my daughter and other people. My dad was in the first class of lay deacons in the Catholic Church in 1976. And my mom and my grandmother prayed the rosary every day, multiple times a day. What's also true about my lineage is that there was multi-generational experiences of family and community and cultural violence. Both my parents grew up with violence and alcoholism, as did their parents in the old country and in the process of immigrating to the United States. The first time I ran away from home, I was five. And I was trying to get to my grandmother's house because she lived in the next parish over. And I know that my grandmother was a different mom than she was a grandma, which I think is true for most of us. But for me, she was always kind and always present and always willing to sit and hold your hand. The first time I tried to die on purpose, I was nine. And yet, my parents were Chicago public school teachers. When I was very young, both my mom and dad were gym teachers, K-8 gym teachers. And at the time, they actually met at Chicago Teachers College, which isn't called that anymore. But at the time, In order to be a gym teacher, a PE teacher, you had to be licensed in every subject K-8 because the gym teachers were the ones who were the substitutes. And so they were brilliant, they were learned, and they were elementary students, teachers who their students and colleagues generally loved. Every summer we went to the lake and we had a community of people that we called our lake cousins. And many of them were people that my parents went to 
teacher's college with, and then people that they were connected to. And to this day, they're still our family. We were very connected. I went to St. Dennis um, Church in school. My parents were Chicago public school teachers, and they paid to have us go to the Catholic school, which was connected to our, to our church. And in the church that I grew up in, there is, uh, some of you who heard me preach before on Mary, I had a picture here of one of the large metal statues. There was Joseph who had um, a hammer uh, and tools of his trade. And there was a statue of Mary. And unlike anything else I have pretty much seen almost anywhere, she's standing with her with her two fingers up in a teaching posture. And so I actually grew up seeing every single Sunday and some days of the week and first Fridays <laughs> an image of a powerful woman, a mother, teaching. We had Christmas traditions, including on Christmas Eve every year, we had a tiny little uh, manger, and my mom always made a cake, and we sang happy birthday to the baby Jesus. And we had, uh, when we were really little, we would, we would, so I think so my parents could get us in bed, because of course we wanted to stay up and see all the festivities. Um, we would have to take a bath and then go to bed, and when we were in the bathtub every year, the doorbell would ring. And especially if there was snow, which at the time in Chicago, there was almost always snow, my dad would walk backwards down the steps and then back up. So it looked like this, the, the L's footprints just started in the middle of the walkway and ended on the stairs. And we got one gift on Christmas Eve that tided us over until the next morning. We played sports. Actually, my sister and I played sports, and my brothers were in musical theater, as was my sister. There was lots of adventure. My Parents both supported us in being the people who we came in the world to be. And the first time I ran away, I was five. So one of the theological texts from my childhood, which was a first communion gift to me, is right here. And it's a little Hallmark book, of all things, um, written by Barbara Burrow and illustrated by Mary Hamilton. <laughs> As a matter of fact, when my Polish grandfather, whenever he would read us a book, he would start with the title and who wrote it, and then he would say, copyright, 1968. He was a joker. If you've ever wondered where God lives, if sometimes he seems far away in his house in heaven, look around you. 
God is everywhere. You see his face in a woodland flower. You feel his touch in the gentle rain. You hear his voice in the murmuring winds. Even in small secret places, he is always near. His miracles are as small as a snowflake and as great as a sky full of stars. God brings the spirit of joy to your home and the spirit of peace and thanksgiving where you worship. When you speak to God, he guides you. He is your strength when things don't go right and your comfort when you are lonely or sad. When you are kind and thoughtful, you are helping to do God's work. And in return, he sends you the gift of happiness. God is in every one of us. He is in our friends who like us just the way we are. He is in our parents who help us grow up and love us always. God is in those who think and act as we do. And in those who may be different. God is love, and he lives everywhere there is love. Most of all, God lives in your heart. So anyone who knows me or has heard me preach, I don't think I ever stray very far from that. <laughs> It speaks both of imminence, or the God within, and transcendence, the God of everywhere that's beyond. When I was in high school, um, I, I pretty much left the church, but I didn't really leave the theology. And as many of you know who've heard me preach before, I never left Mary, or maybe it's probably more to fair to say Mary never left me. When I, after I graduated in, from college in 1984, yes, 40 years ago, <laughs> I got sober in February of 1985. <clears throat> and when I get sober, one of, the, one of the steps is, you know, we have to find a power greater than ourselves. And when I thought about it, I, I basically believed that there were all kinds of powers greater than me. I mean, waves, come on, right? Trees, all kinds of powers greater than me. But the thing is, I basically was pretty sure it didn't have anything to do with me. So as I stayed sober and had to keep figuring out how to do this, how to get help, in the 80s and 90s, I kind of did a lot of Celtic, women-centered, earth-based uh, goddess spirituality, uh, which made sense uh, for me as a woman and for the time. Um, there, was a, there was a journal that came out monthly called Women of Power, uh, which was uh, a journal of... Uh, feminist theology and uh, women's practices of spirituality in many different places in the world. And 
So I read an enormous amount of feminist theology of the 90s to the 2000s. And in the 90s, I started reading, as I'm guessing many of you did, um, Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan and, and the folks from the Jesus Seminar. And it made a lot of sense to me because it's basically the things that I had been telling people for years. Kind of like, I think I'm a little bit more like your Jesus than you are sometimes. An outcast. Social justice warrior. I just learned from Debbie not too long ago. I guess I kind of knew this, but um, it shocked me the first time I heard somebody say that Catholics weren't Christians. Um, I was like, what? That doesn't even make any sense to me. Um, but we didn't think all that well of y'all either, so um, <laughs> to, be, to be honest. Um, and that what we practiced was the social gospel. Um, and I thought, yeah, that's about right. That, that works for me, um, whatever that means. Um, in the late 90s, I was introduced to yoga and Buddhism. And I practiced yoga first for about eight years um, while I was learning the tenets of Buddhism. I started Vipassana, which is a sitting meditation, an insight meditation. And, and um, one of my favorite descriptions of it by Bhante Gunaratana, who's the, the lead monk in Sri Lanka, um, is that meditation is not to calm your mind. It's to know your mind. And so I started practicing that in the mid-2000s. Um, in 2007, I was fortunate enough to go teach in Sri Lanka. And for a while, um, my partner Janet and my daughter Zosha were with me, and um, at one point, I mean, you know, you're traveling in a country where you've never been before, and all kinds of things are happening, and um, it can be kind of stressful. And I remember one day very clearly, Janet said, I just want to let you know that your practice of meditation is helping us all right now. <laughs> I thought, that's worth it. So during that time, I continued learning and practicing many Eastern spiritual traditions. In August of 2010, my dad died. And something really shifted. Um, I was super angry about Christians and Christianity and Catholicism and empire and all the things we're still angry about here. Um, but when my dad died, and I noticed, I just, my mom had, and dad had been married for almost 55 years. My mom went from living with her parents to living with my father. And I could not imagine the profound, deep grief. And all of a sudden, all the things, all the violence, all the, all the ways that I wasn't paid attention to, and a lot of times not even liked in my family, all the ways I wanted my mom to be different, 
kind of started to be like, I just, it just doesn't really matter anymore. Not that it never mattered or it doesn't matter in some ways, but wanting my mom to be different didn't matter in the same way anymore. So when my dad died in August of 2010, it was about, maybe about October. I was looking for books about radical Christianity. And guess what I found? From Stone to Living Word, written by our own Reverend Debbie Blue. And when I looked at the back and it said, she started a church in St. Paul, I said, wait a minute, (laughs) that's just 15 minutes from here. And I'm from Chicago, so I go over the river quite easily. (laughs) And the first time I came to House of Mercy, it was the second Sunday in December of 2010. And in that summer, well, I had a couple conversations with Debbie, and the very first one I had, and some of you may have heard me say this before, the very first conversation I had with Debbie, I said, um, I am most definitely not a Christian. And she said, okay. So I'm wondering why you're talking to me. Um, And that was the beginning of an amazing relationship that is very much a part of my life and my spiritual path. In that summer, I recommitted to this part of my spiritual heritage in this community and with this community. So what does that make me? Well, what it makes me, I think, is a Catholic Buddhist pagan. A lifelong spiritual seeker. A seeker of truth, a seeker of freedom, a seeker of light in life and wisdom. So the reading we heard tonight about the woman at the well, this is from the Gospel of John. And like Mark said last week, John is big on symbols. And the well by which the woman sits is supposed to be the well of Jacob. And there's lots of wells in the Hebrew Testament. They're all over the place. After Debbie wrote The Birds of the Bible, I said, why don't you write a book called The Wells of the Bible? And she said, I think you should write a book (laughs) about the wells of the Bible. And Russell said he was going to write a book about the worms of the Bible, which he has not done yet either. But what was happening at the well there was the writer of John was kind of reading back into the history of Jesus the the Samaritan mission of the time. Because in John's time, in the time that this was written, there was there was a community of Christian Jews and there was a community of Christian Samaritans. And there was who's, who belongs. And so this was a really important piece 
to have as part of the story of Jesus to say, we all belong. This is, the, this is a, a, a deep theological conversation. Um, and the conversation is both symbolic and religious. And one of the... Um, it becoming a story of infidelity of a woman having five husbands. Now, that would have never been true of Jewish women or Samaritan women of the time. And that was a story um, in, in, uh, in, in another, gospel, another gospel story where the Pharisees were testing Jesus and they were saying, well, what if a woman's husband dies? Then basically, who does she belong to? And Jesus turned that upside on its head too. And so the five husbands, the woman and the five, five husbands, the five husbands actually referred to Samaria's infidelity following the return of the northern tribes from Assyrian captivity. Because they accepted the worship of the false gods of five foreign tribes. So Jesus uses that familiar adultery, idolatry metaphor to call Samaria to embrace the worship of the one God in spirit and in truth. And he's, 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 she says, we worship here, you worship there. And he says, that's not what's going to be in the end. He could have easily said, God is everywhere. <laughs> he's here and he's there and we worship here. The other thing that I think is so powerful, and those of you who know my love of Mary Magdalene um, might have seen this coming, <laughs> but the Samaritan woman left her water jar at the well just like the other apostles left their fishing nets in their boats or their tax stalls to announce the good news of Jesus to their villages. And so the woman at the well was called to apostleship and laid down everything. I think, I don't remember where the story of Nicodemus is, but it's in very big contrast <laughs> to what happens in that situation where he slinks off in the night because he doesn't want to do, let, let go of everything. And so all were converted in the village because of the word of the woman who testified. And then Jesus stayed there for two days to teach. So this person who experienced exclusion, a woman, was sent to the other, the Samaritans, to invite them into community. Very similar to the story of Mary Magdalene, who was called to tell the story of Jesus in her community. And so we have in the book, in many different places, where the women are called to teach their own communities. And then the men are called to go out into the world to teach what they've learned from the women in their own communities of Jesus and 
his message. So we can't exclude others from our lives or from our love. If our love is not universal, it isn't the love of Jesus. So today, I bet you didn't know how I was going to get all three of these things together in one sermon, but today we celebrate Candomas, as our beloved Russell would say. Um, and Candomas is the feast of Bridget or Breed, which is part of my Irish pagan roots, and whose color, like Mary, is blue. She's the protector of hearth and home, and this is a fire festival in ancient Ireland. Fire, what an invention. <laughs> Bigger than the wheel, I would say. But fire maintains a community. It was also a festival of welcoming the return of the light and the beginning of spring. And what was happening in places like Ireland in, the, in this part of, 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 the, of the year was the birth of the lambs. The flow of mother's milk. Nourishment for the health of the community. Starting anew, grounded in the old. So Canamas, and then the Christian tradition, is the blessing of the candles. It's bringing the light of this community, of the community in which we worship in spirit and faith and connection and love, bringing that blessing into our homes to nourish us as we move into a new season, to be grounded in the old, in the ritual. It's one of the things that I love the most about being Catholic. I mean, you couldn't spit without hitting a ritual in Catholicism. So as we move into our new season, we both, with both an acknowledgement of and a commitment to this community, and to each other, and to ourselves. It's an ancient Celtic practice or belief um, that intention is carried in the wick. And so when we light a candle, it's putting our intention as we light the candle that that's carried in the wick. And so any candle that's lit off of one candle absorbs the intention of the lighter of the candle. Many times when I set up the candles back there and I light the first candle, I have an intention of open-heartedness and love. And we all add our intention as time goes on, too. In The, in the Hague, Interestingly enough, um, The Hague is uh, one of my heroes growing up in Chicago, um, is Jane Addams. Um, and Jane Addams is known as, um, well, in 1915, she was known as the most dangerous woman in America. Um, 
But she was the starter that one of the people who founded the Peace Party, the Women's Peace Party, um, and was uh, encouraging people to not vote again for Woodrow Wilson because he entered us into World War I. And the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, officially, which officially started in 1919, actually has its roots in the Women's Peace Party and the International Congress of Women in The Hague in 1915. And so, and it is the oldest continuously um, active peace organization in the United States. In 1915, Jane Addams wrote a book called Peace and Bread in Times of War, which is scarily relevant today. And that most dangerous woman in America won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1931. She was the first woman to win the Nobel Peace Prize. But in the Netherlands, in, in The Hague, um, there is the world peace flame. And that flame... That flame is comprised of seven other flames from the Netherlands, from Canada. There was a flame lit in Canada um, in a sunrise ceremony. In India, they took, they lit a, a flame from Gandhi's memorial, which had been and this was in 1999, it had been, and Gandhi's memorial has been lit continuously since 1947. In Australia, Aboriginal elders lit a flame. In the United States at what, we, what our government calls Pikes Peak, the Ute people, or the people of Sun Mountain, refer to it as Sun Mountain, and they lit a flame there. And in the Middle East, in Bahrain, which is the most religiously diverse nation in the world, there was a flame lit. And all of those flames traveled, and you can take a live flame on a plane. They do it every time for the Olympics. And all of those flames came together in Wales, another Celtic country. And in 1999, all of those flames together created the world peace flame, which was then moved in 2002 to The Hague. So this candle was given to me about 20 years ago, and it was lit from a candle that was lit at the peace flame in The Hague. And I don't burn it all the time, because I want to bring it to things like this. An offer in this community that I love, all that has gone into creating who we are and what this flame represents.
Bye.